Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. Welcome to this week's installment of the GateWorld Podcast. You're listening to episode number 23. This is our final show for 2008. And today, GateWorld Forum moderator Tammy Farrar is going to join me and David to talk about identity. We'll also bring you the latest news from the Stargate universe, and we've got lots of listener mail this week. He's fat, he's jolly, and he's bringing presents to all the little girls and boys. But to a wraith, he's just good eats. The Gate World Podcast starts right now. My name is Darren Sumner, and joining me is Gate World's own David Reed. David? Darren? What do you want for Christmas? Well, I already got my Xbox 360, because it wasn't safe to transport Sweet. it on the plane. If I wanted anything from the set, what would I take? Maybe a crystal skull, or uh, a replicator disintegrator? Ooh. Something like that. that I would like fun. that for Christmas. You got an Xbox 360 as your real-life toy. I got a BlackBerry. I upgraded my phone for Christmas. Crackberry. Crackberry. Flashes every time you get an email. Yeah, I can get my spam in my pocket. Stargate News. There's big news out this week in the world of Stargate Universe. MGM and Sci-Fi Channel announced this week that uh, film actor Robert Carlyle is going to star in the new show as Dr. David Rush. David Reed, have you heard of Robert Carlyle before this week? (laughs) I have to admit I have not. And I honestly wasn't expecting this news to come out this quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I looked at the the, the announcements for cast uh, for Atlantis, and the Atlantis announcements for the casts only came out just a few months before the pilot came out. And we're not going to see this guy perform on in Stargate until next summer. So I was kind of yeah. surprised that it came as early as it did. That was one of the things uh, when they were doing pre-production for Atlantis. It was they kind of got a green light for Atlantis a little bit later than they wanted. So pre-production was very, very compressed. They were writing the pilot at a, at a very fast pace, and you know, doing construction on the set at the same time. And and you know, they say that they were shooting in February when the paint was still drying. We heard the casting for Atlantis right before they started filming. Like, like literally, I think a week or two before maybe if even that uh because they were they were looking and looking and looking and trying to fill these roles with with the best people mm-hmm. they could find obviously uh and it went mm-hmm. right up until the 11th hour it's really nice for universe that they have a little bit more time i think to to go through here and not that not that you can look at the season 1 cast of Atlantis and say well well they didn't do a good job or they got it wrong but uh, obviously, there have been a lot of cast changes over the course of Atlantis. That's something that I'm interested there have been in talking ton. about. Talking with Brad and Rob about next time we get a chance to is, you know, SG-1's cast was stable for five years. And then Michael Lefton came back a year later, and it was stable again for, for years and years. Um, mm-hmm. Atlantis made it one year before it lost a main cast member. Yeah, there was, there was a change to the dynamic of the cast every single year. So right. every year, whether it was season one or season five, we were getting used to some dynamic of the cast, you know, and that's hard for for some people, some people to get used to. And I I think that was one of one of the difficulties uh, with the show. So, and Martin Garrow said, you know, it's very important that they get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would add to that, it's very important that they get it right this time. I definitely get the vibes that they're that they recognize that and are working towards that because if you don't have the correct cast, it's not going to work. So let's look at Robert Carlyle. Uh, you may know him from films like Train Spotting. He was in The Full Monty. He was in Aragon. He was in Twenty Eight Weeks Later. Um, he played Adolf Hitler in a TV biopic, Hitler: The Rise of Evil. And he was apparently a bad guy in the Bond film The World Is Not Enough. I've only seen Aragon once. But other than that, I don't think I've seen anything that this man has done. Yeah, I've seen Aragon so once. I'm definitely but out of the loop. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Netflix some of these movies like Trainspotting that I've heard good things about. Um, so Robert is a 47-year-old actor from Glasgow, Scotland. He studied at uh, the Glasgow Arts Centre and the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama. He's married with three kids, obviously hails from Scotland, and will be moving to Vancouver for Stargate Universe. One would only hope. And one thing that surprised me was we kind of all expected that that the quote-unquote lead, which is the press release from, from the studio calls him the lead of the show, 
um, mm-hmm. we're kind of expecting that that was going to be Colonel Everett Young, who was yeah. who's the military commander on board the Destiny, this the sort of ragtag group. But yeah, this guy's Dr. David Rush, who we he wasn't even included in the casting notices. No, he wasn't. That came out a month or so ago, and he's written as the lead. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, he's the lead. Or it says he's the lead, but I don't think that he is going to be the commander. He's not the lead in the sense that RDA was the lead of SG One and it was the the team commander, and he's not the leader of the expedition in the sense of a Doctor Weir or a General Hammond. So mm-hmm. it's kind of going to be interesting to see this dynamic as we find out more about the characters and the actors that they're going to cast to play them and what their relationships are as to just. You know, it's it's they're calling it an ensemble show. If it's an ensemble who doesn't have a conductor, you know, then he's the the group in the ensemble who has the baton. I think that's the kind of the idea. You know, he's he's going to be the one setting the tones. Yeah, let me read you this. This is from the press release. Uh, tells us a little bit more about the show and the setup for Stargate Universe. Uh, the the press release says edgier and younger in tone than the previous two series. SGU follows a band of soldiers, scientists, and civilians who must fend for themselves as they are forced through a stargate when their hidden base comes under attack. The desperate survivors emerge aboard the ancient ship, missing in the far reaches of space. As they fight to survive, Doctor Rush works to unlock the mysteries of the ship and return the group home but evidence of his ulterior motives soon arises. Interesting. So a little bit more about Rush and some of the dynamics that are going to be going on on board the Destiny. Yeah, my spoiler flag was waving really hard when you said that, but oh well. (laughs) (laughs) I shall get over it. I'll admit, you know, I have never heard of this man before, um, but that certainly doesn't mean anything. Uh, I am not that well-versed, you know. My kind of movies are Cloverfield and The Day the Earth Stood Still. I'm... As usual, keeping an open mind to things uh, I do not know about. Yeah, we've been speculating a lot about this since we talked with Brad last year, and Brad said that they were looking to hopefully cast a, a name actor as as the lead or one of the leads, and then go with largely unknowns for the rest of the cast. Uh, and this mm-hmm. seems to be our known actor. He's he's obviously known in some circles. Um, you and I had not had not heard of him before, seen his stuff. But I wasn't sure really what to expect. Is, is it going to be like 24? Are we going to get a big movie star like Kiefer Sutherland to, to come helm universe? Or, you know, like a Christian Slater doing my own worst enemy? Yeah. I was expecting someone along the ranks of a household name. A Kiefer Sutherland. A Richard Dean Anderson. You know, I, th- I think it's really important at this stage of Stargate's life for, for there to be a household name in, in the group. You know? And they're and uh, you know they may they may intend to cast unknowns for the rest of the cast, but if someone really brilliant steps up and says, "I want uh, a part," it wouldn't surprise me. I, I wasn't really expecting that we would get a big household name movie star like a Kiefer Sutherland or a Christian Slater, because at the end of the day, Stargate Universe is a cable show, and those those names you can draw them to some of these big budget network shows like Twenty Four. Um, but what I'm excited about with the casting of somebody like Robert Carlyle is, uh, from everything I've heard, from from the feedback that we've seen posted on the site so far, is this guy is a really good actor. And at the end of the day, yeah. it, it would be nice to have a, a household name to, to draw new viewers to Universe who wouldn't check out a Stargate show at all. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's it's the quality of the guy's acting chops we need actors on the show who are just darn good exactly i i can't i can't say that i mean you can you can get anyone to be and i said this to you in an email a cardboard cutout with with speech balloons over his head you know someone who is a universe deserves someone who is a really good actor i mean just make you to to make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up you know i'm I'm really looking forward to that yeah because because they're talking about doing this as a character drama uh, so that it has a bit of a different tone, a different approach to storytelling than than what we've been watching for the last several years on Stargate. As a character yeah. drama, you've got to have people in there with chops. I disagree with Martin specifically about this. I, I remember him bringing it up that that it, Atlantis uh, 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 was a character drama, but I, I feel that um, that uh, Atlantis is an action adventure drama, 
And that that's my personal opinion as a viewer. Um, and yeah, I think you're exactly right. It is it is necessary that we get someone with some major league chops in here to 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 be on on this team because if 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 he doesn't work, then the show won't work. It's yeah. as simple as that. And I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Yeah, and I don't think the creators of the show are going to go so far as to say, well, Stargate Universe is a drama, pure and simple, and not an action-adventure show. I'm sure that it's still going to be an action-adventure show. They're not shifting genres completely. but Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, you can, you can look at Lost or, you know, or dare I say Battlestar Galactica, and, and you know, that they are character shows. Mm-hmm. But man, can they do action, and they can do adventure. And, and Stargate's the same way. Yeah, as we've said in past podcasts, my favorite episodes from SG-1 and Atlantis are those episodes that have more dramatic character interaction, like Abyss and, like, The Shrine this year. Captain Alicia Vega was originally going to be Stargate's first openly gay character, according to executive producer Joseph Malazzi. On his blog, Joe wrote a detailed explanation of how the McKay-Keller romance came to be over the course of years four and five, and revealed the plans for Leela Savasta's character. We all expected Vega to have a bigger role when she was introduced in season five's premiere episode, Search and Rescue, but she was killed off in whispers, only her second appearance. Additional scenes for Vega in the season premiere were written and apparently filmed, including a moment where she basically asks out Jennifer Keller. Because the episode ran too long, though, these character moments are now on the cutting room floor. It happens far too often. Yeah, it's always those character moments that are first to go. This, I thought, was an mm-hmm. interesting story, and, and I decided to rent it, and we've, we've gotten a little bit of criticism for, for renting it. Um, but I think it's interesting, and uh, it's, it's obviously important to a lot of viewers. But uh, one thing that I don't think is fair to criticize is Joe for this sort of Monday morning, oh, and by the way, she was gay. Um, Joe released this information kind of in the course of a long, a really a really nice, good post that explained the whole Keller-McKay romance and, and kind of how that evolved in the writer's room over the course of the last two years of the show. And, and introducing, you know, her maybe having something going with Ronan at first in, in season four's quarantine and then McKay getting getting something going with him breaking up with Katie Brown and then uh, you know they have a drink at the end of trio just he explains all this and how this unfolds over the course of the, the two years and and you know the Vegas story is just kind of in the middle of that so that was just a sidebar that that fans in, including us kind of latched onto and said ooh interesting yeah it was kind of a side note it was I was debating between doing this story the Alicia Vega uh, which I agree for as as little screen time as she's gotten and as, as minor of a character as she's gotten, we've reported on her a ton. And it's because we read the casting sides for Search and Rescue, and I thought from day one that she was going to be a bigger character, that she was going to be like the next Lorne. Yeah. But it was this one, or it was he also talked about the idea that, that was originally spinning around of making McKay a daddy. They were going to bring in a baby, um... And have it kind of be an ongoing story, like like some sort of, you know, alien baby or or immaculate conception baby that that Rodney ends up having to take care of, and that was kind of squashed when when Rachel got pregnant for real, and they decided to work that into the show. And we have new story details this week on the final two episodes of Stargate Atlantis. Head over to GateWorld.net to find the Sci-Fi Channel's plot descriptions for Vegas, airing on January second. And also the series finale, Enemy at the Gate, airing January 9th. We won't go into any details here in the podcast, but both episodes do involve the Wraith in very interesting and unique ways. We hope these last two episodes send off Atlantis in a very strong way. Gateworld Features Gateworld's newest interview is with actress Kate Hewlett, and it's now available for listening on the website. Kate plays the recurring role of Rodney's sister Jeannie Miller on Stargate Atlantis, and we sat down with her last week to chat about her time on the show, where she would have liked to see Jeannie go in a sixth season, and also Kate's current projects. Look for the interview now at GateWorld, or if you're an iTunes user, you can subscribe to the GateWorld Interviews podcast. You want to give any kind of teaser about what you're doing in Los Angeles next week? Uh, I will say I'm going to interview at least one high-profile person from Stargate, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to uh, shoot my luck in the foot by saying who it is. Uh, it's someone that I that we've talked with before, but someone that we haven't talked with in a while. 
And uh, I'm also uh, going to be calling a few cell phones the night before uh, to see who's uh, going to be up for dinner and perhaps an interview. And there's, there's potentially three or four interviews that are going to happen over the course of two or perhaps three days while Tammy and I are out of town. Video interviews and some really great stuff. I was uh, talking on the phone with Paul McGillian earlier this week. He's in Vancouver right now working on a show. Um, so he wants to hook up next to January, uh, as well as Christopher Judge and a few others. So who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Cool. Yeah. The main discussion. Our main discussion topic today is Identity, episode 18 of the final season of Stargate Atlantis. Joining David and I is Tammy Farrar from Gate World Forum. Tammy, welcome back to the podcast. Welcome. Yay! Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, Identity. This is an episode that starts with a classic science fiction plot device. This is a body-swapping episode. What did you guys think of how this was executed? Um, nah. <laughs> nah. We've seen body-swapping in, in Stargate before, certainly. In Atlantis, we saw um, The Long Goodbye in Season 2. That was when alien technology swapped mm-hmm. Weir and, and Shepard, and we've seen some body swapping in SG-1, just to get all the episodes out there. Duet in Atlantis was It's kind more of, like body like, infiltration, though. Yeah, it was like one-sided body swapping, where Lieutenant Cadman's mind got stuck inside of Rodney, took him over. Um, but then in SG-1, you've got episodes like Holiday... Uh, with uh, Michello's device. Right? I think Which... the reason that made this one kind of meh at the beginning was um, I think they wanted to create a suspense, but the promos kind of ruined it for you. I didn't you already, watch the promo. For me, then, since you know I'm okay. already watching sci-fi, you already knew this was coming up. You knew that there was going to be a swap, but yet the way the lead-in was done, I think you were supposed to wonder, what the heck is going on? Who is this yeah, woman? Who is Why this woman? Is it- yeah, and why isn't Zelenka recognize? You know, why is he not realizing she's different? And you know, and then you have the whole <gasps> moment. And I think that that was the whole purpose for that lead-in. But because sci-fi pretty much let you know what was going to happen in this episode, that whole suspense factor was gone. Yeah, and it was both halves of the episode. It was the half with Neva in Atlantis being Keller, and then the second half of the episode is is. Keller in Neva's body in in the forest getting her head almost chopped off. Mm-hmm. Which does not add up considering this technology's uh history. That they they kind of they kind of uh did a pulled a fast one because if you'll notice when Daniel and Vala were transferred into the uh the ancients uh bodies, the Alteran bodies, Herod and Salus did not transfer into Daniel and Vala. Daniel right. and Vala simply unconscious, right. and that was one of those things that bothered me. Was they 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 deliberately took a different route with that? Tell us what these these episodes were in season nine. In season nine, it was Avalon, uh, I think part two and Origin. Yeah, the psychic communication stones have always been a very very loose and very ill explained plot device. You know, they've always kind of reached for it when they've gotten to the to the psychic stones point so mm-hmm. it's hard for me to buy a lot of that stuff well but they've done it both ways i mean they've done they've had quite a few different things so that to me was a little easy to buy into because they've really never like you said they've never really explained it so the audience can pretty much you know that you can come up with your own mm-hmm. and and it's a good discussion point you know how to how is this going to work well let the audience decide because we've done it all these different ways yeah, maybe for that reason it's good that it's not over-explained. I was hoping in this episode to learn more about the ancient communications terminal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe there's a setting on it where it's one-way communication or two-way where mm-hmm. where the, mm-hmm. the person you're connecting to then enters into your body. Maybe that's possible. Although at that point it's not really, I don't know, it's not really communication as much, is it? No, it's yeah. not. I don't think so. The one thing that was explained a little bit more thoroughly than it has been in the past was just how do how do we know whose body we're going to end up in? And the fact that, that they explained, well, Keller had come across these stones and, and had touched one of them, that sort of zeroed the, the technology in on her. I thought mm-hmm. that, um, you know, I don't know, maybe it was explained a bit in, in Avalon Part 2 and Origin, but if it was, I didn't catch it. It just seemed random that Daniel and Vala happened to end up in these these two people's bodies and not somebody else. 
No, not not to me. It, it was always very natural to me because Herod and Salus were in possession of the only two other known stones in the mm-hmm. Ori galaxy. That makes sense. But the one thing that did irk me was that the the communications console is one of the few pieces of technology in the Stargate universe that until up to this point was extremely indestructible. The only way that we could neutralize it was to throw it against the most destructive force that exists in the Stargate universe, which is the unstable energy vortex that forms before an event horizon is intact. Mm-hmm. And Ronan shoots it once and turns it off. Did we try anything in SG-1? Did we try anything to, to actually... Did we shoot at it, or did... I don't, did if uh, they did, it would have been with a Zat, which may not have had the same kind of firepower that Ronan's gun has. I, I remember Mitchell pointing his gun at it, and I think Lee stood in front of him and stopped it. Yeah, I think yeah. Lee stopped them from really doing yeah. anything like that to to that communications mm-hmm. terminal, because he didn't know what it would do, and it might but, cause irreparable harm to Daniel and Vala. Yeah, but they tried trying it with a crowbar and everything, and Ronan just takes one shot and shoots it, and I'm like, okay, cheat. <laughs> I was expecting well, so much more, something much more elaborate, like an off switch. <laughs> I kept wondering why just lift the dang stone out. It won't come out. I think it's like those those stupid little clippy thingies when you go to the clothing store they have to run it through the machine or otherwise mm-hmm. it'll go off set the alarms off when you try to right. leave. And I had forgotten that part. I you know, I kept wondering why don't you just lift the stone out? And so well, there's gotta be a way to do that. And you know, especially if you have the ancient gene. But you know, all this bickering aside, three or four years hence, the internal st- story of the Stargate franchise and the the way that this technology works is remarkably consistent. I will give them that. Sure, yeah. But I, I do think that um, that something was lost in that whole intro. I do think they were looking for something because Avalon or, you know, Origin, um, I, I don't remember the names of the other ones you mentioned, but um, well, Citizen Joe, all of those body swapping, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Those were all done so much better than this one was. I think what you can what you can give the writers here is that the body swapping, as much as it's been done in the what twelve thirteen years of Stargate history, is it's not quite been done like this. They came up with a way to do it as as a different story. Mm-hmm. True, they approached it from a different perspective. That is true. I, I I do agree with that. Yeah, I actually thought the teaser was was really cool. Obviously, the the Sci-Fi Channel promo sort of lets the cat out of the bag, and and they have to they have to say something about what the episode's about. I mean, the teaser is only the first three minutes of the episode, but um, just just watching the teaser by itself, I thought was it was well done. I thought it was. Cool. Oh yeah, Zelinka getting stabbed. Oh, I did yeah. not expect that. That was no, shocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, and it was for real. It wasn't a dream sequence. It wasn't mm-hmm. a hallucination. He wasn't a hologram. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that was, and it was, that was with mm-hmm. a pair of pliers. It was very uh, vicious. And then she left him there bleeding out with that great mm-hmm. score over the top of it. I thought it was really well done, and it it definitely gave you an insight into this guest character immediately. Yeah, that- Neva is played by Dawn Olivieri, and this is obviously she really has to carry a lot of the episode on herself is a big, big guest star episode. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Tammy, how do you think that Dawn did in this role? Um, I thought, now, I thought she did really well. I mean, she mm-hmm. had to carry off being very in the moment. And you felt that, and everybody looking at her strange and being a very uh, think-on-your-feet and kind of go with the flow. I felt it better from her. I thought she handled it better a lot more in that first half than in the second half. Where you know where it was had to be where Dr. Keller had to you know carry off being someone else, I thought that that was uh, you know the the naive the naive part the the hap, you know that happier personality that came across that was too much. I don't know how to explain that better until we kind of get more into that conversation. I think oh as I think about it more, but I thought that um, Dawn did an excellent job in the beginning of you know kind of taking what people are saying and kind of rolling with it. Mm-hmm. When they were still in Atlantis, right. So I think the writing was done well, and she she played it off really well. This was this was a really easy thing for a guest star to do, in my opinion. I'm not saying that I mean, it, it had to have been easier than someone who has been on the series for for a long time, who has gone through those corridors, who has interacted with those actors. You know, this is 
I mean, all, I imagine that all you really have to do, besides memorizing your lines and getting like the the, the feeling of of the performance down, is to recognize the fact that this is your first day on set or your first week on the on set. You know, just play that as it is. Looking mm. at at Atlantis as for all of its wonderment, and looking at these actors like. I haven't known you for very long, so I'm going to use that to my advantage, you know? And I don't want you near me. I don't want you putting your hands on me, freaking me out like that, you know? It's just not something that you do, and and that's something that she could have played off of very well, and it was very effective. I kind of wish that she had been a little more clever. I'm talking about Neva now, the character, not the actress. Right. I wish that Neva had been a little bit more clever when she had found herself in Atlantis and maybe tried to use that situation to her advantage instead of trying to get away as quickly as possible. Obviously, she, she wants to figure out what's going on and get back into her, her own body and not be stuck in Keller's body forever. But just the the ease and the, the speed with which everybody figured out that there was something wrong with her. You know, it took Raddick all of about 30 seconds to figure out that there was something wrong with her, and then uh, McKay the same, and, and Ronan started coming around and giving her the evil eye. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. See, I guess I just took it as there wasn't that, there wasn't enough time in the episode for him to to do that kind of thing. So I, yeah. I took it at face value. I think that when when it's when the episode started, I think that I expected that her transfer into Keller's body was on purpose. That she had done this <laughs> deliberately to infiltrate Atlantis. That she knew what the technology was. So I was kind of taken aback by how lousy she was at, at fitting in and at fooling people. Well, she was trying to get to grips f- with being in someone else's body. You know, she didn't expect that. You know, she's seeing this reflection in the mirror. Who am I? What the heck is going on? You know, I can understand you kind of being a little bit um, mm-hmm. off-center. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, but that would have been a, an interesting way to have taken the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but once I understood, that obviously, that, that she didn't know what the heck was going on, then her behavior makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. And it speaks very highly of our team, obviously, that they know each other well enough that they can recognize in under a minute that something is very, very wrong with this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did anyone else find it so odd that no one in Atlantis seems to sleep? I mean, she's in the jumper bay trying to take a jumper in the middle of the night, presumably, and Rodney's like, what are you doing up here? What's going on? What are you doing? I couldn't sleep. So you came up to the jumper bay? Yeah, I thought I'd go for a ride. (laughs) In a puddle jumper. Is there a problem with that? A few. For starters, you don't have the ancient gene, so you can't fly one, but you already know that. Can you fly it? Of course I can. It's not the point. Look, you should be back in the infirmary. You you could take me for a ride. What, now? Yeah. It would really help me relax. Well, I thought I could give you pills for that. They didn't work. Oh. Yeah, come on. Please, just you and me, alone. Oh, you could take me somewhere secluded. We could, we could make love underneath the stars. Really? Would you like that? Well, yeah. I mean, I'd have to get a blanket though, because the the mainland's ground cover is loaded with allergens. Oh, let's just go now. And then Aren't Ronan, of course, in the nick of time, rides in and saves him. Yeah, I get, I, I see Ronan doing that because, again, in the the scene in Keller's quarters, it it really seemed to me like Ronan was, his spidey sense was tingling. He he thought that something mm-hmm. was going on, so he was maybe tracking her, keeping an well, eye. I I figured that the guy that she asked where the jumper bay was called somebody. That just that could I, have been. I didn't mm. think that, that was my first thought. Was okay. That guy's calling somebody because she's weird. I wish Rodney would have said then, yeah, so-and-so saw you. I just wanted to check and make sure everything's okay. What are you doing up here? That's probably a good point, Tammy. Mm-hmm. But it, that, that is exactly what occurred to me as soon as the guy was looked at her you know, as she was walking away. As I thought, oh, he's going to call somebody. Yeah, she's senior staff. It's, it's odd behavior for her to ask those questions. Where's the jumper, babe? Yeah. <laughs> Which way did he go? So another big guest star in this episode, Tammy, is Dr. Beckett. Ah, yes. Paul McGillian is back. And underused. Kind of. Underused. Oh, yeah. Man, oh, man. No, compared to his previous episodes, no. Yeah, he's in five episodes this season, including the finale, I believe. He's in one more. Tammy, is this uh, not everything you hoped it would be? Yeah, I really didn't understand what exactly was wrong with Dr. Keller to begin with, that they were calling Beckett. Was it because of the previous episode where she had dealt with, you know, the, the hypothermia? They kept alluding to that there was something wrong with her, and that's why they called Beckett. 
I think it was just the way that that she was acting in this episode, that she was, you know, she ducked out of surgery and said, I don't feel well, I'm going to go lay down. Yeah, your chief medical officer is off-duty, and you have a great former chief medical officer roaming the Pegasus galaxy, just giving general medical care and and being at the the writer's beck and call whenever whenever the character is now needed, you know, which is basically all that he's there doing. Um, So they brought him in. At their beck and call? Beck and call, yes, yes. (laughs) But yeah, it was weird, I think. It was weird for Neva to back out of surgery the way she did. If she would have come up with an excuse before the surgery, that's one thing. But to get in there and to basically say, my tummy hurts, I'm, you know, Zelenka is here bleeding out and my tummy hurts, I'm going to go lay down. Yeah, maybe I was wondering if she was thinking, maybe I can actually fake this. Let's see how far I can go because maybe I can get through this. Maybe, Maybe it's not that bad. Because she doesn't know Atlantis' procedures. Yeah, it shows that Neva just wasn't very good at, at blending in. No, and her whole, I mean, the fact that that he was just going to have her walk with him somewhere, her way of reacting was immediate violence. Yeah. I mean, that's her mindset. And when you get to the point where you're back on, you know, you get to the other half of it where they're, they're listing the charges. This isn't a happy-go-lucky nice person. This is a murderer. Mm-hmm. This is a person who does not even think twice about taking a life. So, you know, the fact that, you know, that she's willing to walk out of a surgery or any of that, you know, that doesn't surprise me. Although, you know, it just it just seemed kind of weird to me that that's what prompted bringing Beckett back to the, you know, back into it. It was just kind of weird. And they didn't really use him for anything other than that. For you know, you know, he looked kind of silly. Yeah, she's fine. Everything's fine. But I think it might be psychological. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, well, you know, there's a whole group of fans sitting out there going, well, yeah, the woman's done lost her mind. <laughs> and there's a whole <laughs> other group of fans it's out there literally going, out there somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. And so it was, you know, it was kind of you know some cliche things that were going on, but I. I have to say that the best scene for me with Paul was the very end where he's doing the whole check spiel uh, as they're willing him out of the infirmary. And, you know, Beckett's going, I agree completely. I agree. Completely. <laughs> yeah, that was a great you know, scene. That that was, you know, that was a wonderful moment. But aside from that, um, you know, everything was real quick. You know, it was, yes, you know, we did this examination. Then... Other than that, he just kind of ran around with the team. Yeah, he got to go to the planet and, and take the bullet out of... Yeah, Nina and Tyler. even that, there was no tension in that whole... I mean, the woman was shot. But yet, did you feel any tension in that whole moment when they were doing the surgery, the whole thing? Mm-mm. No, and part of it, I think, was because it was it was the guest star, the guest actress who was on the table with the bullet mm-hmm. in her. So I forgot temporarily that wait a minute this is Keller's body and this is one of our our regulars uh, who's just been shot and whose life is in danger Mm -hmm. Um, aside from the fact that some fans would would like to see her perish there (laughs) Um, so it's it's kind of an interesting somebody made the suggestion on the forum that the the episode would have played very differently if the actresses had played the opposite roles if Jewel State had gotten to play Neva in Keller's body, and vice versa. Oh yeah, if you saw it at, from the out external perspective, right, right. Yeah, let mm-hmm. let the um, let the the main cast member or let the recurring cast member um, play a different role for once. Yeah, so it would you know show off Jules chops a little bit more, and in terms of her getting to act as a very different character for a while instead of Keller, and vice versa with the guest star. The guest star gets to sort of embody Keller. We see a I have to agree take with that. On color. What do you guys think of that idea? I have to agree with that because I thought that while I was watching it, I thought, you know, I might buy into this more had I if I could actually see Keller being this weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think that would have been freaky looking. Yeah, seeing the other person, it it didn't really make an impact because the person looked different, the person act different. Imagine the long goodbye. If those two old people were the ones running through Atlanta shooting up the place instead of, of Weir and Shepard, mm. you know, I think that would have granted work. a similar feel Yeah, that this episode had. If, if that had done 
uh, if this episode had done what the long goodbye did in terms of the perception of the body swapping, I think it would have been much more interesting. Or look at look at Holiday in season two of SG One when Jack and Teal get swapped, and and we see that that external perspective. We see RDA playing Teal. And how hilarious is that to see oh, RDA was... deliver lines like, if I am to remain in this body, I must shave my head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Going on with that that whole thought process, um, mm-hmm. that's where I think that um, Beckett was definitely underused in this one. Um, I, you know, he was there. I'm glad that Paul got to be part of it. Yeah, the Asian medic, uh, this would have been a really good chance for her to shine, to go off-world and, and, and show her stuff a little bit, you know, because yeah, they've... Yeah, Marie. Yeah, they've, they've went to a lot of trouble of bringing her specifically back ever since, I think, Sunday. She got, she became a really big hit. This episode did not need Paul by any means, yeah, but it was, more, it was simply nice for him to be more of a there. typical yes. pre-Sunday Beckett appearance where... You know, in Outsiders this year, he was really kind of the center of attention. He was he was the hero of the episode, um, which is not really typical before Sunday. Before Sunday, it was more like this, where he kind of goes along, and there's a medical incident, and he's our guy, he's our he's our CMO, and so he just does his thing. He did more of what you would expect, in like Darren just said, in the earlier versions, where after um, you know that kind of episode, like Outsiders and stuff. You just expect more when you see him now, and so to have him be kind of regulated back to that was kind of um, disappointing. And the, th- the thing that continually bothers me: are we? Is the show ever going to even toe on the fact again that this is not technically Carson Beckett? No, I think they're done with that. I don't think it's going to be revisited. As far as yeah. they're concerned, it's Carson. I, well, I think that damages the memory of, of the original Carson, in my opinion, you know, being a, a, a true Carson fan, you know. And that fact that, that they're not continuing to make the fact that he's a, a clone part of, of his story, it, again, it makes me wonder why they wrote him off to begin with. I mean, mm-hmm. if there's some explanation as to the fact that they have brought him back and are now trying to make him just absolutely fall back into as, as normal as possible for, for where Carson would have been now if he had never died. You don't have to have the answer to that. Thank you. <laughs> I have a lot of theories. The guy who played Janik, um, I think that had they given him a little bit more mm-hmm. to do, He's I think... A good act. Yes. I think he would have been um, a, lot, a lot better to make that second half um, be a little more exciting because he seemed to have some something there. Um, it was yeah, not I liked fun. Him. Yeah, I thought he did. The, the two guys seemed to have something going on. The guy who played the magistrate, I can't say I was too impressed with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't seem to come across. And when they came in and said, you know, hey, we're Atlantis. You know you don't want to make us an enemy. That, I actually was like, okay, so now Atlantis is going to you know, start using that. They're going to be a bully. I, I kind of heard um, you're either for us or you're for the terrorists there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's and that's so, what I heard when he said that. I was like, Wow. Yeah, and now <laughs> okay, you know, I don't, you know, yeah, I didn't know which way I wanted to go with that, but it's like okay, so that's, but it, you know, because you don't know how much of this is being written with, with whatever down the road they want to do, if they're ever going to get movies going, or if they're ever going to do any of this other, um, you have no idea how much is planting seeds. That the Pegasus Galaxy is going to come through Atlantis with pitchforks and shovels. <laughs> Off with their heads. Who knows, you know, because you just don't know what they're doing because you have no idea what's coming on down the road. Mm. You know, so what what are they using these last episodes for? Are they looking to wrap up things or are they looking to plant little seeds, you know, as they go down, you know, the road? Who knows? Um, So that's your guys' job, you know, go find all that out. Well, I think the timing of this is tends to deliver a lot of information. I mean, a couple of days before they shot... Zelinka and uh, Keller's infirmary scene at the end of the episode is when they found out. So there couldn't have been a, a great deal of heads up in terms of stories for the last half of the season. You know, if there were, I think you you would have seen a lot more solid uh, episodes wrapping a, a great deal up. That's not specifically why it really feels like this is all starting to gel together into a show that that really is ending. That's that's one of the things. It's one of the issues that I have a, a problem with with Stargate is there is something that I cherish about television series 
which have an ending that recognize how finite and precious what a show is and allows itself to naturally conclude. Stargate does not do that. Mm. Stargate is specifically open-ended, and Brad Wright has said, we are writing these shows so that they never have to end. You, mm. you lose something when you do that. Specifically saying that the shows are going to go on and on and on, it, it ultimately says you know they're going to go on and on and on until they piddle out, and we'll just have to resolve, some, resolve what we have when we have it as best we can. You know, that's that's one of the things that I love about Galactica is it's bringing itself deliberately to a very specific conclusion. And that is a conclusion that you can relish. Even Mm -hmm. if it's too soon, in my opinion, (laughs) for Galactica. Yeah. 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 You make a good point and you make a couple of good points. One of them is that they didn't know when they were working on these last few episodes that the show was going to end. And obviously, you know, certain episodes are being filmed, but then there are other episodes that are in the pipeline that are in pre-production that have been written or have already been sort of determined Mm -hmm. and and they've gone through the beat sheet and everything and and Mm -hmm. decided what the episode was, Um, you know, maybe except for the season finale, I think. Um, So I've seen a lot of criticism as, as we get into these final, final episodes of the show. Um, There's some nice resolution for Todd in last week's episode, but but episodes like Brainstorm and, and like Identity um, have come under a bit of criticism because it's it's like, well, Atlantis is ending, and, and they gave us this. They gave us this one-off that doesn't contribute anything to the overall story arc. And I think you've, really, yeah. you've got to give the writers credit and, and look at the fact that they always write with the, the hope and, and expectation that they're going to get another year until they hear otherwise. And so these episodes were going to be the end of season five with the expectation of a season six. I have to agree with that, too. I mean, and I don't think that they necessarily don't offer anything. Even a one-off still offers something in the respect But it's still that, an episodic, formulaic one-off. Well, yeah, but it still offers something that, you know, you always... You can't tell me that you don't always find something out about the character that either you don't like or you do like. You know, any character, any or any aspect of the overall story, period. You do find something in there. And I think we're so busy sometimes getting caught up in the minutia of what we can nitpick mm-hmm. or of what we can um, gush over that we forget that, you know. Big picture. So, yeah, the big picture is, you know, it's just sometimes you're going to, you know, you'll find just a little something. But every every piece offers something. We're definitely good at nitpicking and gushing. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a piece of entertainment, you know. As my mom would say, it's it's my junk show. You know, it's just a junk show. Get a life, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope as we talk about these episodes on the podcast every week for an hour that we maintain a bit of perspective. I would hope so. It's the thought that counts. <laughs> well, I won't be picketing anyone soon, so I thought that Neva's end was cool. Yes. I thought that, you know, they played Janik as, he's he's good at what he does, he's a good thief, but when we get to the point where we're trying to explain advanced technology to him, he's just, you know, dumb as a doorpost, and the fact that he had basically already made up his mind that he was going to pull the trigger when, when Neva popped back into her, into her own body. I thought it was a, it was a nice end, but yet they kept it ambiguous. Where they were saying at the very end that they couldn't find any bodies. Mm. But I did I did like the fact that you heard the shot. Oh yeah, and there was the thought that he went through with it, and I was personally I thought that was, you know, that was that was another departure for Stargate. Yeah, I think she's dead. The timing of the sound effect as they transition from that close up on her to mm-hmm. the next scene, the wide shot of Atlantis, tells mm-hmm. me that. He pulled the trigger right then and there, and there's nothing she could do about it. You know, she's not mm-hmm. dodging that bullet. He's not, you know, changing his mind at the last second and shooting into the air. I think she's dead. Well, but it's very, it was very Rod Serling of them. The bad guy gets what they deserve. Well, but I think it plays into what David was just talking about, how they still like to have that... that um, open door. Uh, that open door, mm-hmm. yeah. They, that she might be back in season six. Oops. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So overall, how do we like identity, David? Pass. Come back to me. Tammy? Oh. Oh, I hate it when he does that. Tammy? I've never done that before. Yes, you do. You always put it on me first. 
I really want to go higher, but I'm going to say a four to a five. I think its strengths were in its guest stars. It had a couple of, of new ideas and, like I said, it had a couple of departures that hadn't really seen before. Uh, its weaknesses were it it was a, a classic plot device and it wasn't done as well as it's been done in the past by the same people. Hmm. No offense to the actors themselves, but um, I think that it could have been done better. I'm, I'm going to say it again, Taylor. I wish that Taylor had, had a bigger presence. It, it feels more and more like, you know, again, yeah. I like the Keller character, but it feels more and more like her introduction as a regular has, has pushed Taylor off to the side. This could have been a Taylor, Taylor story. Taylor had ten lines in this episode. You know, just because we want to get the the Keller element is in, in her storyline is that she's kind of helpless and, and she, she doesn't really have any way of... of convincing the magistrate or or fighting back against uh, being executed or or against uh, Janik. Uh, you could tell that story with Taylor. It would be a different story, but I miss Taylor in this episode again, as I've missed her for most of the season. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't seen her since the Queen. Yeah. She was with Michael, but again, it was... Um, That's true. That's true. You know, she, but I, I agree with you, Darren, that it, she definitely has been underused dramatically. Tra- yeah, identity overall. I think for me, it feels like a, a a perfectly good, fine standalone episode that that would have been nice, you know, in the middle of season three or, or halfway through season four. Since it's the third to the last episode, I, I've got to say it, it. I wish that it was more than it was. I wish that it was more than than just kind of a nice little Atlantis one-off that was not necessarily remarkable in any particular way. Um, so I'm going to say 6 out of 10. I think you really hit the head on the pin there with this one. I mean, we're two episodes left of, of this series, and um, the the most polite, pleasant thing that I can think of it, I mean, it should be damn hot right now, is not necessarily remarkable. You know, and that's where it is. I think this episode demonstrates both what Atlantis has done well and what it has not done very well. Yeah. And it's sad that uh, the show will not get a chance to prove that it can do better. As a viewer who has been with Stargate for all of his adult life and then some, not to shoot down the people who have been watching for a few years and think that this is grade A television, but it's it's mediocre from my perspective. And I need more, frankly. Analyzing it from a standalone episode, I think the guest acting was excellent. Um, I think the story was interesting. There were some cliche elements that I was afraid going to happen. I, I get so exhausted over the just in the nick of time rescues. And when she was rescued by the robbers, that was great. That was unexpected. That was fresh. And I was excited to see that the episode had a good deal of humor. And, uh, yeah, again, the, the the guest acting was, was really good. So I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. You guys are nicer than me. <laughs> I, again, I think it was it was fine. It was a fine episode. I have to go with that. It was fine. And I guess that's why I'm a little lower because I think that at this juncture, very much again what both of you are saying, at this point of the series, I should be like David is saying, it should be damn hot. It should be off the charts. Atlantis is extremely well done in that it's very well produced. And you look at all these elements. You look at the the writing and the editing and the score and the the Mm -hmm. photography and and the show compared to a lot of, of what is on cable television right now. It's just stellar. This uh, is true. After what I saw this weekend, I have no complaints <laughs> about production quality. I'm not going to ask what you saw. But, you know, Tammy, we're going to bring you back next month for our show when we sort of step back and look at the five years of Atlantis and sort of do what in in the, the business world you would call a post-mortem. We're going to kind of <laughs> look at the show overall with... A bit of a critical eye, and I hope an eye of generosity as well, and say, well, these are the things that we liked about Atlantis. These are the these are the things that that we think maybe could have been done differently. As David said, Identity is a good example of an episode that is is produced very well, and there's not necessarily any anything wrong with it. But yeah. it's 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 one of those episodes that could have been more than it was. Listener mail. Last week, we asked you to write in or call us and tell us what your number one Stargate moment for 2008 was. 
We got uh, lots of people who wrote in, and we got a record number of voicemail messages this week. So, David, who's our first letter from? Luisco. He says, My number one moment was the intense way the Lost Tribe of Asgard were introduced into Atlantis. A hyperspace window opening above the ocean's surface was one of the coolest things I have seen in Stargate in a long time. The way they flew in got what they wanted, and flew out so clinically, with the Atlantis team hopeless to do anything about it, was a terrific way of introducing them. Teacher Gal says, Definitely the best moment of this past year was the scene between Shepard and McKay on the pier in the shrine. It was the best scene from what was probably the best episode the series has ever had. It showed what these two men mean to each other. Yakko says, The best Stargate moment from the past year for him, was clearly Continuum. Seriously, nothing else even bears discussion. With it having not been around for so long, I'd forgotten just how much better than Atlantis SG-1 is. It's just superior in every way. Jack O'Neill, the Gaul character introspection and interaction. Continuum is the closest the Stargate franchise has come to reaching its acme since Season 8. And we have a whole whack of voicemail this week. Hey guys, it's Sean Bishop here in Vancouver, Canada, Stargate Central. I just wanted to respond to your listener question, best moment of 2008. And uh, while there were a lot of really cool moments, uh, not least of which the Shrine, which I thought was a real high point, for me personally, a great Stargate moment and probably the best of um, 2008 was certainly finding this podcast, actually. And it is really cool to be able to, after each week, uh, get some different perspectives on the episode and stuff I I haven't thought about in, in a while or maybe haven't even thought about at all. So, hey, thank you very much for all the work you put into this. Uh, as a broadcaster myself, I can certainly understand that it does take a lot. Plus, you guys are doing interviews and a whole ton of other things. So one other quick thing, I uh, checked out Identity this week and uh, thought it was a really cool episode, really enjoyed it. My only problem with this episode, I think, was the choice to have Miva and Keller's, um, basically their bodies, as they see themselves as opposed to the way other people see them. I thought that was a little bit, uh, it threw you off a little bit, and I think it also would have been a fantastic opportunity for Jewel State to be able to act in a completely different role and really to sort of uh, jump into some different shoes and really extend herself as an actress. So uh, it was kind of a missed opportunity, but other than that, I thought it was classic Stargate, awesome stuff, and um, definitely a great episode uh, gearing up towards the end. So, hey guys, catch you later. Thank you again for the podcast, and uh, cheers. This is Shelley from Oklahoma City. I was calling about the episode discussion on fan entitlement, and I felt there was one uh, topic not brought up, and that was... Uh, feeling any entitlement from the network. I personally don't feel any uh, entitlement as a fan from the writers, the, the actors, and so on. I expect they'll do the best, and I hope I will like what they do, and that should suffice. However, I do feel that the network is wanting something from us, mainly our eyes as viewers, to watch their commercials, to buy those products, that keep our shows on TV. However, they also seem to be the ones that have the largest decisions and sometimes the directions our shows take, some of the actors' comings and goings, and, and even some plot lines and so on that may or may not be what we like. And also, I feel like I'm entitled to television that is distraction-free, like all of the pop-ups that take up a good quarter of the bottom of the television when I'm right in the middle of my show, and sometimes I'm not seeing everything that's being viewed for us. So anyway, I'd be interested to hear what you guys think about that. I probably have uh, more opinions about that, but I'll keep this short. Enjoy the podcast. Thanks so much for the site, too. Hi, this is Ariel Stack from Thousand Oaks, California. First of all, I'd like to add my congratulations to you both on a very interesting series of podcasts. I finally started listening to them a couple of weeks ago and have been devouring them as fast as I can find the time. I really didn't expect them to be so thought-provoking. On this week's question, I had a lot of trouble trying to narrow down my favorite moment. Uh, Stargate's competent directors take such a talented group of actors through an interesting and well-written script and we're treated with the best production values in the business and then turned into a product that we fans are so fortunate to receive. In Atlantis this season, my favorites were Ghost in the Machine, the Shrine, and First Contact in the Lost Tribes so far. And then to have two very big SG-1 adventures, such as the Ark of Truth and Continuum in the same year, I mean, how do you choose? 
But then it finally struck me that the glue that holds all of this together, at least for me, are the fabulous scores from the extremely talented Joel Goldsmith. None of them would be what they are without them. So when I'm listening in my car and I hear a journey to Celestis and I'm on that top of the mountain again with Tilk, our new identities, and I can feel the pain of being flung to the different parts of the country with Sam and Daniel and Cam. I recently rewatched the shrine, and for the last few days, some of that score's been playing over and over again in my head, and, and I'm immediately in a cave by a waterfall with some friends and family trying to do the right thing. So I guess for me, the moment is the music playing in my head at any one moment, and my favorite is probably the score from the Ark of Truth. Hi, this is Chris. I'm from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and uh, I just want to make a comment. Uh, first off, my favorite uh, scene from this year was when Daniel saw that the Asgard came out of the suit. Uh, I thought that was a really good scene. The look on his face was classic. And uh, I also want to make a comment. Did you actually say that you regret that we committed genocide against the replicators? Uh, Yeah. I kind of don't agree with that. We tried to talk sense into uh, Six and the other human form replicators, and nobody listened. Uh, they would have, even if we had left a couple alive, they would have continued to, to try and kill everybody. So uh, I think that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, and the race have been feeding on humans for at least tens of thousands of years, and uh, we don't seem to have a problem with that. Um, sorry, I think they're bad enough to where they can be destroyed. Hi, this is once again Jeremy from Hillsborough, Oregon. Um, I would have to say my favorite moment from Stargate The Line of 2008 is the episode Be All My Sins Remembered. That was one of the most highly anticipated episodes for me ever for Stargate. And it is also special for me because I watched it in the hospital because I had a problems, and I'm okay, but it stands out for that reason as well, but I'm also a huge fan of the space battles, and that's, and that was an incredibly exciting episode for me. Thanks to everyone for calling in this week, and for posting your answers to the listener question. So David, what's your top Stargate memory from 2008? We're revealing herself at the end of Be All My Sins Remembered. It's the only moment in the year and a half on the show where my jaw dropped. Mm -hmm. My jaw literally dropped. And yeah. everyone in the room, their jaws dropped too. I could not believe it. That's the biggest moment for me. Hmm. For me, it was hands down, without a doubt, not just talking about what was on screen on Atlantis, but all of Stargate for 2008, it was without a doubt seeing Stargate Continuum for the first time in a movie theater. We talked in the podcast before, you and I got to go to the cast and crew screening. Amanda was there, and Michael was there, and Chris was there, Bob Bacardo was there, and, and Brad, and, and, and all the writers and, and the crew for Continuum sitting in this little movie theater, and there were also a bunch of fans from the convention there. It was such an amazing experience to be there and to see the film for the first time in that venue with those people, but then to have Continuum be one of my favorite Stargate stories in the last decade. Mm -hmm. Just made it just a, a really special moment for me that, that really rekindled my love of Stargate. Good deal. Here's this week's listener question. What do you think of this week's big Stargate Universe casting news? Leave us a voicemail or post over on the forum, and we'll include your responses when we return from the Christmas break in January. So David and I are taking a couple weeks off. For the holidays. We'll be back on January 6th to talk about episode number 19, Vegas. And then the series finale of Stargate Atlantis airs on January 9th here in the United States. So on the 13th, we'll be talking about Enemy at the Gate. I'd just like to thank everyone for uh, tuning in to this first 20 or so episodes of this year. This is an experiment that uh, Darren had, and I kind of, you know, just thought, uh, okay, I'll do that. You know, this will be kind of neat. And it's just become something that I that I enjoy listening to every single week. Well, first of all, recording and then listening to it. I listen back on every episode, whether I have to or not. You know, and it's something I enjoy. And frankly, you know, even if there wasn't a single listener out there tuning in, you know, we're I think we're lucky enough to be in a position where we can do whatever the heck we want to. And for the most part, you know, 
get away with that. But to have people tuning in who enjoy the show and who have made it a part of their weekly routine is something very special, and I and I appreciate every one of them. Yeah, it's very rewarding to to be at the point in the life of this podcast where we now have have regulars. We have regular people who are investing their time every week or nearly every week with us. And you know, when when we started this podcast in the summer, I was a little apprehensive about it. I'm a I'm a shy guy, a reserved guy, and I I don't usually like putting myself out there, but I did it kind of as a as a growing experience, and it's been very positive. And we're looking forward to uh, to doing new things with the podcast in 2009. Some of these voicemails, you guys have really just, you know, lifted our spirits by saying some really, really encouraging things about the podcast and, and what it means to you, and, and we appreciate it. So thanks for joining us once again for the podcast. This is our last show for 2008. We'll see you again in January. Give us a call on the GateWorld podcast hotline to tell us what's on your mind, preferably Stargate-related. Call 616 712 1647 or head over to GateWorld Forum and post on the podcast feedback thread. In this episode, we talked with Tammy Farrar about Identity, the newest episode of Stargate Atlantis. And for links to everything that we talked about today, head to GateWorld and look for the episode number 23 show notes. From GateWorld.net, this is Darren Sumner. And this is David Reed. And you've been listening to the GateWorld Podcast. <laughs> 